It's a great honor to be here tonight at the world famous, universally famous, the city of Calcutta has often been given great relevance in the history of art, culture, and philosophy. However, most people do not know that the great worldwide spiritual revolution known as the Hare Krishna movement was made possible by a great devotee from Calcutta, whom we fondly, fondly call Srila Prabhupada. As ISKCON is speeding towards its golden jubilee year, it is time to uphold the great task that this great man did for the benefit of all living entities. It takes a lot of courage, endeavor, and deep-rooted faith in Guru and Gauranga to establish such a huge spiritual organization at the age of 69. The city of Calcutta is blessed because Krishna's pure devotee was born and brought up here, and within it are upteen places of great spiritual relevance by dint of their having been touched by this pure devotee. Srila Prabhupada's frequent statement, I am a Calcutta boy, indicates the deep spiritual connection of this city, which until now has not been revealed. It gives me immense pleasure to know that a book is being published to portray the different places of Srila Prabhupada's pastimes. It will be of great importance for visiting devotees from around the world. The book not only gives overview and overview and history of the places but also acts as a guidebook for tourists. With colorful pictures and tasteful design, it gives practical understanding of various places, such as darshan timings, present status, and route guides. I am thankful to His Grace, Ananda Mohan Das, for publishing this wonderful guidebook, and I hope and pray that it will help in establishing the true relevance of the city of Calcutta on the spiritual map. His Grace Dairam Das, President Iskhan Calcutta. We needed this. This is fantastic. Thank you very much. Such a beautiful gift. And we will definitely be coming through Calcutta and spending more time here. I'm really touched. Hare Krishna. Well, do you have any questions? Hare Krishna. I just want to know if you can say something regarding Prabhupada books, by which you can be continuously reading the Prabhupada books. Because that's what we call books are the basis for this moment. But the great problem is the interest to read books goes down to the distractions. I see. Yes. Well, in general, books are beloved by humans because humans have the capacity to develop themselves, spiritually, also materially. There's an urge within every human to, of course, those in lower modes of material nature may lack that urge to some degree, but in those who are civilized and progressive, there's a, a strong urge to get knowledge. That's why everywhere you go in the world, you'll find that people love books. Humans, since the beginning of time, have been writing things down. 
And even today, when we're, I was staying at the Senator Hotel, a newspaper come, came under my door. Early in the morning, someone came by and slid the newspaper under my door. And anywhere you look, you'll find people reading because this is part of the chit potency. Every living being has a desire to know, and especially when one becomes a human being. So, the Srimad Bhagavatam distinguishes between books that are fit for swans and those that are literatures that are fit for crows. This comes up in the conversation between Narada Muni and Srila Vyasadeva. And Narada Muni declares that those literatures that are concerned with material development and descriptions of sense gratification, first of all, he says that hearing those subject matters disturbs the mind, the way a boat on water without a resting place is disturbed by the wind. And he also says that crows are indiscriminate. They're omnivores. That means they'll eat anything. And those human beings who are not discriminating read anything, especially books that are related to sense gratification. But for those who want to attain, attain the perfection of life, Narada says, the Srimad Bhagavatam is full of the unlimited names of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And it's meant to create a revolution in the impious lives of the world's misdirected civilization. We also quoted verses earlier, starting with Shifru Shroshadatana Seyavasadeva Katavshi, Syan Mahatsevayavi Prampunya Tirtana Shevana, that's by serving high minded devotees. One develops an urge to hear about Krishna, and then as one hears Srimad Bhagavatam, that one naturally is freed from the urges that torture us here in the material world, urges generated from rajas and tamas, until one becomes liberated. Tada rajas tamobhava means at the time, after progressing. Through hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam, one comes to the position where one realizes for oneself, one's freed from these pushing of the lower, lower modes of material nature. Srila Prabhupada's mission in coming to America was to introduce the Srimad Bhagavatam to the world. He announced that when he was on the Jaladutta. He wrote about how he was bringing the Srimad Bhagavatam and he was. He was wondering how, how would Krishna make an arrangement so that people could read it and understand it. Tato Jaya It is the very means of conquest. And it was Prabhupada's means of conquest. He came with the books and he depended on them to found the movement and to bring the masses of devotees that he enlisted to a higher standard. And Srila Prabhupada gave his time without fail 
to translating more books and making them available with his commentaries. And he, he very much wanted everyone to read them. In the earlier days, when he started the Srimad Bhagavatam class in the temples, Pradumna Prabhu tells about how Prabhupada would hold a circle and he'd read the Srimad Bhagavatam and the devotees would go over painstakingly the verses one after another. And they would try to memorize the verse and they would look at the word for word and then Prabhupada would speak on it and even when Prabhupada wasn't there he asked the devotees to, to do the same thing. That was the birth of the Srimad Bhagavatam class. And Prabhupada mentions in a letter that if you read one verse a day, then you'll finish the whole Bhagavatam in 50 years. So if you're, if you're faithful and attentive and you consistently come to the Srimad Bhagavatam class after 50 years, you may finish the whole thing. But that sound vibration of the Bhagavatam is the Krishna consciousness movement. This is the means through which we become transcendental in ourselves and transcendentalize society. Prabhupada writes about it in his preface to the Srimad Bhagavatam. That he's presenting it in such a, he's presenting it just so uh, he can re-spiritualize human society. So that's the key to the Krishna conscious movement. As I mentioned earlier, when we were at the BRC, the, the late preeminent scholar of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Joseph T. O'Connell, who was a great friend of the Krishna consciousness movement, a Canadian who had excelled in Gaudiya Vaishnava studies, had written a paper that I read called Institutionalizing Prema. And he speaks about how the book in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the Vaishnava Shastras, are the what he calls soft institution. And he gives a definition of an institution. Institution means the means by which we transport culture across time and geography. And then he said, the soft institution of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas is the Gaudiya Vaishnava Shastras. And he said, these are the most effective ways at transmitting the culture of Krishna consciousness from one continent to another, from one person to another, and changing people's hearts. Otherwise, what's the institution for? Prabhupada was eager that devotees dedicate themselves to reading his books. He writes about Bhagavad Gita that one should read at least one chapter a day. And he said it several times, one chapter a day, please urge all my students, he told others, to read all, at least one chapter of Bhagavad Gita every day. And when he was in Hawaii, he asked the audience at the Srimad Bhagavatam class that, would you please chant one chapter of Bhagavatam every day? And he said, the benediction will be that you'll go back home, back to Godhead. And then Prabhupada said, will you do it? And everyone said, yes, Prabhupada. And then he asked a second time and gave the same benediction. And he said, will you do it? And the audience said, yes, Srila Prabhupada. And he asked a third time. And same answer. And my god sister, Babacharini, who was there at the class, recounts that 
It was an amazing benediction that if you just read one chapter of Bhagavatam every day, you'll go back home back to Godhead. He was saying at the time, if I understood it correctly, to chant one chapter it means at least chant the, the verses of the Bhagavatam every day, like a, a chapter. And then she said, it was an amazing benediction, but even more amazing than that was, nobody did it. <laughs> so what is the uh, way in which I'm held back from taking what is mentioned in the Bhagavatam as the cult, a kind of semi-solid nectar that gives the highest pleasure of intoxication. It's, it's, it's not hard to take. It's already blended like a smoothie. You can just drink it. And it gives the highest pleasure of intoxication. Until you pass out, you can take it and drink it some more. So, there may be some hesitation to hear the Srimad Bhagavatam until one develops a taste for it. And therefore, it's important in the beginning to regulate one's habit. Just like we chant 16 rounds, if somebody walks in here and you see them in the ashram, they have a bead bag with no counter beads, what would you think? CIA or something. Like, what's this person doing? They have a bead, a bead bag with no counter beads. Have you ever seen such a thing? We, we wouldn't think that, uh, okay, I'm just chanting, but uh, I'm not counting. Uh, obviously we count. Sankhya Purvaka Namagamanatibhikalabhasanikrito. The Goswamis counted. Sankhya Purvaka means numerical strength. In order to continue against the onslaught of the mind, which will give all kinds of suggestions for maybe take a day off, how about a week off, and then sliding into a year, two years, 20 years, 50 lifetimes, uh, drifting away from the transcendental sound vibration. It's vital for those who know that the goal of life is to become refined and to develop one's love for Krishna. One has to develop a system through which one can stay close to the transcendental sound vibration without fail, even when the mind doesn't want to do it. Therefore, we have this program of reading every day, having Srimad Bhagavatam at least once a day. The admonition is nityam bhagavata sevaya, which means that it should be done constantly, without stoppage. But in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Rupa Goswami says that if you tell this to neophytes that you should read Bhagavatam constantly without stoppage, like Parikshit Maharaj heard Bhagavatam and Shukadeva Goswami spoke it, then people would be horrified and they wouldn't continue the process of devotional service because they're busy, they have other things to do. Therefore, he says, nityam bhagavata sevaya for the beginner means at least once a day you have to hear. So it's important to start a process. If you're not smart, you need a smartness plan. 
If you're not healthy, you need a healthy plan. If you don't have wealth, you need a wealth plan. What else? If you can't do any of that, you need a can plan. And if you're not reading Bhagavatam, you need a reading Bhagavatam everyday plan. And I thought about this and then considered how would I get on a regular system to hear Srimad Bhagavatam and read it and actually complete it because it's easy enough with a book as long as Srimad Bhagavatam, 12 cantos. And we, we actually should consider, as it says in Tattva Sandarbha, that there, on other planets there are many more cantos, some of them millions of verses. We have only 18,000 verses. If you were going to sell Bhagavatam sets with millions of verses, people would have to move out of their house. <laughs> which is not a bad idea. So, how would, I thought, how am I going to stay on track to read 18,000 verses without getting distracted? And then I read an article about how if you want to complete any big project, you have to divide it into small parts. And so, a friend of mine and I then started counting all the pages of the Bhagavatam. And we discovered something that was, to me, revolutionary and also exciting. And that is that there's a finite number of pages. The mind thinks when, I, when, when my mind sees the whole set of Bhagavatams on the shelf, I may think, it's unlimited, I'll never finish. But if I, if I count how many pages there are, and I look at the number on a page, now I've got something to work with. All I have to do now is remember how to divide. And if I divide that number of pages into a set number of days, I can discern how many pages a day I have to read to finish the Bhagavatam within, let's say, five years. How many pages do you think that is? It's eight. Some of you know. If you want to finish it in two years, it's 21. And if you want to finish it in one year, Bhagavatam, all you have to do is commit to reading 41 pages a day, which is not a lot. Because um, actually it takes an hour and five minutes average to read 41 pages a day if you average out it over a year. So, what I did was make a chart, and it shows the various intervals that one can finish the Bhagavatam, paired with how many pages you'd have to read to do that. Now, doesn't that sound doable, once you know how many pages you have to read every day? Say yes. Yes. Very much so. I devised another little trick. You know, have you ever noticed in sports that people put up goalposts? Do they have it in cricket? Do they play cricket in India? Yes, yes. yes. Thank you. Do they have do they have anything that you that marks a goal? How about football? They play football in India? Or do they call it soccer? Do they have goals? Yes. Yeah, it's you can see it, right? And everybody knows where it is. So, I mean, what, what would a game of cricket or football be without any goals? You'd just be kicking the ball around all over the place. 
We have to see it, right? Say yes. So I figured out a simple little plan from the office supply store. I found that you can buy flags that you can stick over and over again. Attorneys use them to mark important passages of documents. You can stick it and then take it off and stick it again hundreds of times. Never, never wears out, well, it does wear out sometimes. And so what I did was I figured out how many pages I would read every day of the Bhagavatam. I took a flag, that's my goalpost, and I wrote on it with a Sharpie, that's the kind of pen that doesn't come out, the number of pages that I would read every day. And that would be 41. Now, I take the flag, and what do you think I do with it? Who said it? So what do I do? See, this stuff's easy, right? You just move 41 pages, that's countable, that's why there's numbers on the pages too, right? You move it 41 pages before you start reading and you stick it in the book, then you get yourself a do not disturb sign. And you put it on your door. Or hang one around your neck if you live in Russia. And you decide for the until I hit that flag, I'm not talking to anybody. And I'm not gonna do anything else. This is a kind of yoga. It's absorption in Bhagavatam by force. Prabhupada calls japa forced meditation. Did you know that? Forced meditation. It's a, it's a really nice quote, isn't it? And similarly, this is forced reading habits. But once the mind gets used to it, it can't do without. And that's a good sign, a sign of health. That if you feel that you can't face the day without reading Bhagavatam first, then you're living in reality. And if you think that you can face the world without reading Prabhupada's purports and still remain alive in Krishna consciousness, then you may not survive. So I recommend that before you walk out the door, make sure you read your pages. And it doesn't have to be 41, but it has to be something. In a similar way, as Prabhupada advised everyone to read at least one chapter of Bhagavad Gita a day, at least chant one chapter of Bhagavad Gita a day, one can make a commitment, a vow, that I won't let one 24-hour period go by without chanting at least one chapter of Bhagavad Gita. You know what really irritates me is, Bhagavad Gita is the most important book in the world. It's the most famous book of India. And all, all around India, I meet people and they say, I know Bhagavad Gita. And if I quiz them on any chapter, they would have no idea. There are a few pundits around, but not many people attend to Bhagavad Gita on a regular basis. Isn't that, isn't that a shame? All the great acharyas comment on Bhagavad Gita. It's the most important, basic scripture in the world. And it's only, how many verses? Only. Say only at the end. 700 verses, only. Yeah. If you can learn C++, or any of these other complex systems, you can memorize 700 verses, no problem. And the way to do it is day in, day out, 
at least one chapter of Bhagavad Gita. And here's one way that really helps, is if you keep the Bhagavad Gita with you, because we discovered something by doing double-blind studies at major universities, and that is if you don't have a Bhagavad Gita, you can't chant it. See what I mean? If you don't have a Bhagavad Gita, how are you going to read it? Does that make sense? If you don't have a Bhagavad Gita, you can't read Bhagavad Gita. It's a simple point, but it's really, really profound. I found that if I keep the scriptures with me, for instance, when I travel, I always have a folder, and in it, I'll have the chapter of Bhagavad Gita that I'm working on currently printed out on a piece of paper, or several pieces of paper, so it's easy to carry, it's not heavy. And then, I keep it visible, because that's really important. If something's visible, and I, I put it out, in fact, above my bed, the hotel, I have shlokas, I carry tape with me, and I have shlokas, and I just tape them to the, to the wall above where I sleep, so when I wake up, it's the first thing I see. And the other thing I see is my printed out chapter of Bhagavad Gita. It's sitting there right at my bedstead right now. And when I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that I notice. So my point is, if you make a deliberate plan, if you don't, if you don't think you can, then you're gonna have a can plan. So you get yourself a Bhagavad Gita plan and a Srimad Bhagavatam plan, and then join the human race. Start reading uh, every day and take your daily dose without fail. And it's nice to do it in groups also. If you start groups where you all do the same thing, at least the basics and finish, it attracts a lot of attention. When I was traveling with my godbrother Satyadev Prabhu, wherever we'd stop, we'd always chant a chapter together and it would create a lot of energy in any given ashram that we'd stop in. Shri Shri Radha Govinda Ji Ki Jai, Srimad Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Jai Jagannath Baladev Subhadra Ji Ki Jai. I remember several times when we decide to read our chapter together and we'd sit down and we'd start chanting and then devotees would come in the room and go, what are you doing? We'd say, we're chanting a chapter of Bhagavad Gita. They'd say, can we join you? And by the time we finish, everyone's saying, wow, you think we could do this too? And the answer is, you know, obviously yes. So these are a few practical points. The books are there, but you have to have a customized program for yourself, one that you can handle. And consistency is king, because if you do it every day, as Prabhupada used to say in writing his books, he, he said, drops a day, wear the stone away. And here's a realization I've had about reading Prabhupada's books, which, by the way, he personally told me to do. In 1973 in San Francisco, I was with a, a, a group of uh, Sankirtan devotees. We had been distributing books and Prabhupada came there. San Francisco was doing well. And our temple president, Bhaktadas introduced us to, to Srila Prabhupada and told him that we were distributing his books. And Prabhupada responded. He said, you must also read my books. 
I've not written them just for selling. I've written them for you to read, to become pure devotees, and go back to Godhead. What was I saying before that? What? Yeah, so drops a day. So, every year, several of us go to Govardhan Hill for the Kartik. And we stay in the ashram for the whole month. And we don't go anywhere. And we read five hours a day, Bhagavatam. And, of course, after a month of reading five hours a day of Prabhupada's books, if you ask anybody, how was your experience, they'll say it was life-changing. And what I was thinking while we were doing that, while we do that, we've done it 19 years in a row, and I was thinking, Prabhupada used to spend his time from midnight all the way into the Brahma Mahorta, and whenever he got an opportunity, he was always writing his books. So I was thinking, at least I should try to, ex even though I can't write books as Prabhupada did, at least I can try to read them with the same kind of energy that Prabhupada wrote them. What, what if you tried to, to match Prabhupada's uh, enthusiasm for writing and his consistent writing with enthusiasm for reading? That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Say yes. Yes. Yeah, that's reasonable. You could try to do that. And who could stop you? If you, want, if you decided to carve out the time, it starts to uh, develop into a routine and then it, it makes room for you. And then the transformation takes place. So this is a vital aspect of the Krishna Consciousness Movement. And Prabhupada writes in the, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that the devotees in the Krishna Consciousness Movement should read all the books that have been published. And Prabhupada goes on to say that if they don't read all the books, then they'll take to eating, sleeping, and fall down from the process of Krishna Consciousness. What other questions do you have? Yes, Prabhu. Yeah, yes. When we start reading this translation and purpose, the components when we do the purpose, so we are many times I felt like we don't get the connection. So again, I feel like oh, there is no connection. One of the most healthy outcomes of hearing and chanting is to come out with more questions than answers. It's not that when we hear and chant, we're going to answer all questions and we're going to understand everything clearly, especially not the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam is Krishna. Krishna doesn't even understand his own potencies. They're so vast and they're always increasing. So how am I going to understand them? So it's not that by reading the Bhagavatam then we come to a sense that like now I know everything. When we were going door to door in Sankirtan recently, I met a man and he said, I know everything. 
So I called all of the other Sankirtan devotees to come to meet him. I said, this man knows everything. You just ask him anything. He goes, no, no, it's not like that. <laughs> so it's not that when we study Shastra, we study Bhagavatam, we're thinking, uh, I'm, I'll know everything. There are many mysteries. And actually, asking good questions is a result of very good hearing and chanting. Because when you have intensive hearing and chanting, then you start to develop really deep questions. And then you start looking for people who can answer them. And that's when you find good association. Louis Pasteur once said, great discoveries come only unto the prepared mind. And if we're always preparing our minds to inquire more deeply into the Bhagavatam, by going deeply into the Bhagavatam, then we'll always be looking for those who can answer those questions. And you, when you notice that somebody competent is speaking, you'll really lean into it, and then you'll, you'll bring that question that you've been carrying with you for a while, and you put it before that person. And you may get an answer that is very satisfying. And that brings us to a more refined level of our practice in Christian consciousness, a deeper appreciation for the intricacies of the philosophy of Christian consciousness and the, the depth of the literature itself. So if, you, if you're finding yourself with more and more questions or parts that you don't understand, then carry them with you and put them before the right person to be answered. You know, during our readings, I, I stay in touch through WhatsApp with several devotee scholars who are deeply into the Bhagavatam. And then in real time, we are constantly, if a, if a question comes up, we put that question to them. We have it in different time zones, so if one of them's sleeping, the other one can answer it. Or they can answer it the next day. And it's very edifying to, to have that process ongoing, that there's always somebody there. You can collect mentors. Find those who are deeply into the Bhagavatam, into all of the, the Shastras and the Prabhupada's books, and then stay in touch with them when you have questions. Collect mentors. That's another important aspect of hearing Prabhupada's books and going deeply within them. Did that help? Okay. Yes, Prabhu. Thank you very much for the wonderful and technical inspiring class. So you are saying that how Prabhupada said if you study daily Bhagavatam, one chapter will go back and back to the Similarly, you talk about reciting daily Bhagavad Gita. Similarly, we have daily minimum 16 rounds of chanting. Similarly, we have daily morning program. Bhagavatam is 432, and then we may have daily services. And then we want to do so many things daily. We want to improve chanting, we want to improve services, we want to improve relationships. So now, if you want to also do uh, studying of proper books, besides our what are the morning programs then what one thing you can do because if you are like Bhagavatam, Bhagavatam, so we may not be able to do anything. So what is your recommendation? 
Uh, one thing we can start if we are not sure whether you know uh, what to start, where to start, but we know that reading blog will be very important. But at the same time, we also have other goals we want to improve. Got it. Understood. So, I'll give you some advice that I learned at the Senator Hotel just yesterday. It was, it's been a revelation for me, actually. On the wall in the bathroom, there's a little placard. And it talks about unnecessary wastage of water. And there's a very detailed chart. And it tells how much water you use if you, for instance, if you're brushing your teeth and you leave the faucet on while you're brushing your teeth as compared to whether you just turn it on for a second and then brush your teeth or whether you take a shower and keep it running while you soap up. It has all these details. There are dozens of details on it. And I was surprised to see how much water could be wasted just by a little inattention. So I started thinking I should make a life chart. It says unnecessary wastage of time. One thing I've realized is that there is a lot of extra time in the gaps. And you win in the margins, just like in sports, you know, you can win by an 18th, an 80th of a second. Or so. And so there's, there are gaps throughout the day that if you're ready for and you fill them in rather than just, you know, like your friend he has to run back up the stairs and get his beat bag because you're going for a walk or something like that. So I'll be back in a minute, and then he comes back in seven minutes. Has that ever happened to you? Or someone says, I'm going to go get the car, I'll be right back. What does that mean, right back? How many minutes is it approximately, would you say? I'm asking, it's not a rhetorical question, I'm actually asking. Two minutes? Okay. You know what? Huh? Not sure. Five minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour is huge. If you used five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour every day, if you added it all up over a week, a month, a year, that's a lot of time. You could, there's a lot you could do there. It's a matter of being ready for it at any time. So, if if you if you decided I want to add something in, look for time in the margins and see where it's, it's being wasted. You're the one that's ready for it, waiting for the next thing. People spend a lot of time waiting for no reason. I noticed it at airports. Everybody's gonna get on the plane. So what's the big deal? Like the anxiety that, like, let me get on now. I mean, the thing might even crash, so why do you want to get on so fast? <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like a half an hour, an hour, two hours waiting, and people just waste it looking at their phone, or, you know, uh, doing nothing. And similarly, I, I mean, even in the efficient, austere life of a brahmachari, if you look for it, if you get an accountant-like focus and you start looking, where's the extra time? You might find yourself, you know, it's like people sometimes they find extra money sitting in their couch because it all comes out of their pockets. You can find extra time, it's very valuable. And if you try, you start with that and see what happens. One, another piece of advice I have, I got from a friend who knew hundreds of shlokas. They said, so what's your secret? And he said, I always carry seven 
index cards with me at all times with shlokas on them. And he said, I just look at them throughout the day. And so I started doing that, and I realized there's always time that gets wasted in between everything else that's happening. And if you have the shlokas right in your pocket, you just pull them out, and you're ready right then. So you said give you one thing, and that was, that's practical, you can do it. So try to add something into the margins. The other, the other point is, if you want to, for instance, if you want to learn passages, bring them to the morning program. And let's say when you're greeting the deity and you're having darshan, instead of just having darshan, you read those verses to the deities. And if you're doing any kind of puja, if you're doing, if you're doing the pantratric and you're doing puja and things like that, bring your verses. For instance, if you're bathing the deities, you can add extra verses on to the, to the program and just have them with you. And as part of the you know, bathing ceremony, whatever you're doing, have the verses there and ready to read. What are the questions? You can ask about anything. And we still have 10 minutes left. Yes, Prabhu? Mike's coming. So is it necessary to read the word-to-word meaning of the sutra also when reading the Bhagavad There's different ways to read. You can, you can read through and get more context if you read faster. For instance, if you just, if you read the English translations and the purports and you go faster, you get more context because you hear the whole story. If you tend to spend more time looking at each verse, then you can go unlimitedly deeply within each verse. Every verse that you look at, you can consider the word for word very carefully. You can read Prabhupada's purport. You can make reference to any other places that the verse comes up in Shastra and cross-reference and go deeply like that. So there's many different ways that you can study. Sometimes what we do for, for reading and studying Prabhupada's books is we start reading and then when we come to a Shastra point in the purport, we reference it out to another book, right? So say the prophet quotes in the Bhagavatam from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, then we'll pull that book out. And then when we're reading in that book, if he references somewhere else, we'll pull that book out. And pretty soon you have dozens of references. That's a really helpful way to study Prabhupada's books, because Shastra Sunipuna, it means to have a, a grasp of how everything hangs together. So you can do it either way. The answer is given by Sanatana Goswami when he gives his prayers in glorification of the Bhagavatam. And he says that every syllable of the Bhagavatam is showering down nectar. So if you do word for word, that's good too. And it's very helpful to, to have a clear idea of what's going on in each verse.
Yes. Hi, Krishna. Thank Hi, Krishna. you. Um, I'm just wondering, I noticed in myself that uh, I can, as far as like time management, that I can spend all, like a whole day in service. Like, say, for example, if I'm dressing in beauties, that I, it could take me all day to get the outfit prepared and make garlands, and, and I can do that for the whole day. But then I kind of flip-flop, and then on another day, I won't spend as much time doing, you know, reading things like that. So I feel like there's, I have almost, maybe there's like a fear <laughs> of, of um, just being engaged all the time like that. And I just wonder how we get past that. A fear of being engaged all the time means a fear of... Like, like of, of, because I still have this concept of, of my time and Krishna's time, sort of. And so, yeah, and so there's still like this desire that I have to have some free time, some time to myself where I'm not doing anything and really I'm just wasting. And, and I, I don't know how to get when I know that I have days where I can be full well, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Yukta Hara Yukta Cheshtasya Karmasu, Yukta Swatna Bhagodasya, Yoga Kamati Kukaha. You should be regulated in everything you do. And there's, there is a, a time for everything. And Prabhupada had times when he, there was a, some levity, when he was taking Rashad and he didn't speak at all and he didn't engage in conversation. It wasn't that when he was taking Rashadam and then, you know, he wanted to grind out some heavy philosophical point. He was just meditating on the Prashadam and probably going on morning walks. Sometimes he was pensive, sometimes he was actively speaking about various topics and things like that. I mean, Vaishnavas are interesting human beings. And it's not that they're just, there's one gear, that's it. So the point is, take what you can handle. Uh, but one of the main things that I'm trying to present is, make sure that you have a, a balanced diet. Just like in eating, you have to have kind of varied diet. Some fruits, vegetables, different colors, and you'll be healthy. So have a nice balanced spiritual diet also. Keeping in mind that the most important aspect of the diet is hearing and chanting. That's what actually informs us. Like somebody was telling, who was speaking today, Vaikuntha Nayaka Prabhu was talking about how we went to Ultadanga. And if you didn't know what Ultadanga was and what that building was and the significance of it, or the stairs we walked up, that Prabhupada walked up those stairs to meet Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, if we hadn't heard about that, we would just thought it was an old building. But once, because we heard about it so much, when we walked in, it had significance. So all the other services that we're doing have significance because we hear about them. But take a pace that you can handle. And everyone has slightly different tastes. Kushakrata Prabhu, my godbrother, I mean, he just learned Sanskrit on his own. I remember in Mayapur, he picked up some book 
He just sat around listening, uh, reading it, and then he knew Sanskrit. Just like that. And uh, then for the rest of his life, he just stayed in a room. And he translated and he wrote verses in Sanskrit. That's all he did. Until about three days before he had to leave his body. And then he said, I have to leave my body now. And they started a kirtan and they just left. I mean, people are <laughs> different devotees, have different tastes. We're not, you know, we're not meant to be robotic. Of course, that was Kushkrata. You don't have to be Kushkrata. You can, you can have, you know, your own mix and, uh, you know, whatever suits you. The main point I'm making is have a, a means to not deprive your, yourself of the, the enriching benefits of hearing, and especially reading Prabhupada's books. I mean, Prabhupada's books are the primal sound of the Krishna consciousness movement. Minus that sound, we get a, a bewildering array of problems that we have to deal with every day. And Prabhupada said this himself, even with worshiping the deity. If you don't hear a chant properly, he said, you'll just think later on, why did my Guru Maharaj give me such a burden around my neck to take care of all this stuff? So, I mean, whatever your taste, we do devotional service according to taste, and so just the deities, other things, but it all, the basis of it is, is hearing, especially hearing from Srila Prabhupada's books. And now the Arctic is going to start in about 60 seconds. What a beautiful temple you have here. I spent time here in the Brahmacharya Ashram back in, back in the old days. And uh, I have a great affection for, for uh, Calcutta. I mean, we've been in ecstasy since we've been here. I love this place. And thank you for maintaining this and uh, improving it and going on with all the things that make uh, ISKCON great. Book distribution, the uh, deity worship, the Sodom distribution, being a friend to all living entities, taking care of each other. Please keep up the good work. And we'll take you up on your offer, spend more time, especially if you want to get the MSF going again in a big way. We just came from Bangalore and had a, it was a big showing down there for the MSF. They scheduled several out and we're looking to make it a, a bigger thing because try to do this in five seconds. Here's the, how what book distribution looks like in, in India, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. And why not, um, you know, why not double, triple, quadruple the, the, the distribution of Bhagavatam? Last comment, Bhadra Purnima is on September 1st this year. And last year, worldwide, all of us together did 7,000 Bhagavatam sets. This year, we promised in front of the deities to do 10,000, so please help, so we can make that happen. Thank you very much, everybody. Hare Krishna. Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman.